0: whatever you call it whatever state, just can't pick up that slack. Um, and we've seen what happens, like in like Texas, where they do drastically cut this. You see an increase in HIV. You see an increase in STDs like gonorrhea and syphilis or unintended pregnancies because low-income people can't access these preventive services.
1: And regardless of what your beliefs are, and my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in the state of Texas, they do not even teach OBGYN residents anymore, how to do pregnancy terminations, which is a very vital part of being an obstetrician gynecologist, because in a true medical surgical emergency where that needs to be done, that's a huge gap in patient care. And I'm sure a lot of women will suffer because of that. And I I really don't think that if you are an OBGYN resident and you're training in the state of Texas, you're really getting the full training of what it takes to be an obstetrician gynecologist.
0: I mean, I would say, you know, there's there's heartbreaking stories of people that have to, you know, very much have a wanted pregnancy and would have to terminate because of a fetal anomaly you know, that they didn't find out later. Um, but and then there's some people, you know, for whatever the reason that people seek an abortion, um, these blanket laws and legislation just can't address every situation. And I think, you know, by by. By legislating, you know, uh, these medical choices that are personal and private, this is where we run into problems where, you know, um, physicians just are, are not trained to, to do what their patients need. Or, you, you know, you have the case of someone who, because of a medical emergency, needs to have an abortion. She goes to, you know, a Catholic hospital that has a policy against that. And, and this is where you really have, you know, politics and legislation interfering with that doctor-patient um, relationship, which is so important.
1: That's why we have a separation in this country of mm-hmm. church and state, and you know, I, I, I think that's personally very important. So money-wise, just in your jurisdiction, so to speak, in North, East, and South Florida, how much money does it take to run the 11 centers which serve 50-plus thousand patients?
0: I mean, we have a big budget, but um, because it's, you know, a healthcare personnel and staff, they're not, um, we want to pay people a a fair wage and uh, make sure that our our care is accessible. Um, But I don't have the exact figures on that. Um, I guess the only other thing I could say is there are 22 health centers that we, we partner with our sister affiliate. And, yeah, we just, you know, we try and be competitive with our salaries and and make sure our our services are um, affordable.
2: So other than that Title X funding, are there other public funding sources that go to Planned Parenthood?
0: Um, So Hmm. they, you know, they passed, they tried to pass a law in the state of Florida, I think in 2016, saying no um, federal state dollars could go to Planned Parenthood. So essentially defunding Planned Parenthood, but that was, um, we fought that in court. And, and, and overturned that. So we do get some small grants, but really, um, you know, the, the funding that we do get, so Medicaid reimbursements and your physicians, you understand it's not a blanket block grant. It's it's just like another type of insurance company, right? Um, for people that can't afford healthcare, same with Medicare. So we will get, we will, um, you know, submit reimbursements.
3: We work. We still actually have one very important program that we recently got back, um, It's called the Breast Cancer and Cervical Initiative through the Florida Department of Health, um, and it provides at-risk women with a family history and a low-income breast clinical breast exams and screening services uh, with or without a family history of breast cancer, as well as cervical cancer screenings.
1: We're going to need to take a brief commercial break. I want to hear more about this. We'll be back in just a minute.
2: Welcome back to Paradox. Our show today is called The Elephant in the Room, and we are talking with two representatives for Planned Parenthood, Laura Goodhue and Rachel Eisenberg. Rachel is a nurse practitioner locally, and before we went to break, we were talking about different screening, uh, uh, breast cancer screening, and cervical cancer screening programs. Can you keep telling us what you do with regards to those two screenings? Sure, absolutely. So anyone age
3: 21 and up is eligible for cervical cancer screening, which is very important. Um, Because once we are sexually active or based upon your family history, you're at risk for cell changes and cell changes that can be cancerous. So depending on the age and the most current guidelines by um, the American Gynecological Association, we do co-testing, including screening for the human papillomavirus, which is also a hot topic these days. So we're talking about pap smears. Pap smears, yeah. With co-testing, meaning we're testing for HPV virus. Yep. As well as cell shifts that can be cancerous. Um, In addition to that, I perform clinical breast exams on females 21 and up and males who would like one as well, Um, and we check for abnormal lumps or um, lesions in their breasts, skin changes, Um, and abnormalities that could be cancerous.
2: So I just want to take a minute because, uh, you know, in residency, obviously Ira and I both as family practitioners do full spectrum care, you know, take care from pregnancy, infancy, all the way to death. And so I did quite a bit of STD counseling and immunization counseling. And I always thought it was interesting that Gardasil vaccine when it came out. So this is the vaccine that, um, prevent certain strains of HPV, which is the cause of most cervical cancer. And when the Gardasil vaccine came out, it was huge controversy, right? Absolutely. Because they were giving it to kids before they were sexually active. Right.
1: But, and and here's the thing, audience, about Gardasil. It does not increase sexual promiscuity.
2: Right. But that's the whole thing, right? That's the whole thing. Parents would come in. Parents would
1: come in and say, I don't want my 12-year-old having this vaccine.
2: Because I don't want to think about my 12-year-old ever having sex.
1: 99 plus percent of folks that develop cervical cancer, it's due to four strains of the HPV virus. And Gardasil vaccine will prevent that virus. So we could literally cure cervical cancer in one generation if we got enough people back.
2: And and I always say this to parents, right? Because this is a very awkward... I mean, when you're the family practitioner, the parent is my patient, the child is my patient. And so you're walking this uh, fine line as a practitioner wanting to be supportive of the parent. Let them understand that you're on their side. You completely understand why they have reservations about this issue in general, especially because we're in the room with the child that is in question. And at this point, they're making eyeballs saying, I know exactly what y'all are talking about, right? But I always say to them... Do you know someone with cervical cancer? They got it from sex. Do you hear me? Your mother, your grandmother, your aunt, your best friend, all of these people that we you know, are upset that they were affected by cervical cancer, they got it from sex. Do you feel like that's a stigma right now? I,
3: I do. I agree <laughs> completely. One of the biggest barriers to vaccination is the stigmatism that it will increase sexual activity before they are sex. It will promote sexual activity. Um, However, I think that a huge part behind that is education and the lack of confidence and knowledge um, from providers being able to speak on that with that fine line Mm -hmm. if they are under the age of 18. Um, Most people also are concerned about cost, and there's a lot of programs out there for vaccination. The state of Florida, for pediatrics, there's a free vaccine program. Um, Merck itself has an assistance program, and most insurances uh, due to the new guideline changes through the age of 45 are now covering it. Um, for individuals through the age of 45, both male and
1: female. So let's go through those guidelines a little bit because this is such an important topic. And if we can cure cervical cancer in our lifetimes, we've done a great service to everyone. The guidelines used to be 12 to 24 for women and sixteen through like twenty one for men, it was it was weird. but the the current guidelines, as we've gotten more and more research and more and more data available about the effectiveness of the vaccine, I like to use the words the efficacy of the vaccine. Uh, what are What are the current guidelines that we use now?
3: Um I believe it's age starting at age nine uh, in females and eleven in males through 45 years old and both males and females. Um, If you're under 18, it's just still a two-dose or three-dose vaccination. If you're 18 and above, it's a three-dose vaccination that you come in for. Um, And like you were stating earlier, the vaccine has nine of the most high-risk strands of the virus. Uh, It has, I believe, the current statistic is
2: 90% of the cancer-causing strands and the two high-risk
3: strands for genital warts.
2: And I actually kind of, I kind of like this visit when I was doing a lot of this type of counseling because, you know, usually at some point in the visit, the parent frankly asks the child if they're sexually active. (laughs) And so that's this moment where everyone's like, yikes, where's this going? But even children. You
1: know, I never did the, I did a dual visit. It was hard when you're seeing 30 something people a day, but I would interview the patient with a parent Yeah, and then the patient without the parent.
2: Well, this beautiful moment would happen. What, What I'm trying to talk about is this beautiful moment that would happen where the parent started looking at the child as if they're an independent decision maker. And I love that moment. I still do that moment sometimes with flu shots where parents are prepared to make a decision for their child, which, you know. Decisions should still be made with parents a lot of times, but the parent kind of realizes, okay, this isn't going to last forever. Have I done my job? Have I prepared my child to make smart decisions? And is this kid, who may or may not be sexually active, interested
0: in a preventive vaccine? I love that moment. It's a beautiful teaching moment. Just think yeah. about that tween or that child that's like, okay, this is where you want to talk about this now in, in the doctor's office. A big part of what we do, obviously, access to services, advocacy, but the third leg of the stool with Planned Parenthood is our education program because, you know, the services are just really... aren't aren't worth anything unless we have that education. And that's why our practitioners do so much counseling. Um, But then we also are in the schools. You know, we're in the community. We're talking with young people about values, um, education, and making healthy choices for themselves, um, how to prevent pregnancies. And we also talk to parents. We have a Talk to Your Teen program, which, uh, and it's not the Stork uh, program, where we inform, or we just kind of educate parents on how to have these teachable moments with their children and say, hey, look, this is happening and this is how you need to talk to them. And also
3: through um, our education services and clinic, there's a new program that our education department started called Light, which is pretty phenomenal where our patients and local teens and tweens are becoming advocates for their peers and they're openly speaking and educating their own peers. And it's a really phenomenal program
0: Yeah, because it's really the best way to get information out about sexual health care is through your peers. And so we're making sure that they're getting the right information from the messenger that they're going to listen to.
1: So I would imagine seeing 33 patients a day, it's hard to spend a lot of time doing counseling when you see someone who may need additional counseling other than just routine preventative care, someone who's in a crisis, uh, perhaps having a sexual identity crisis, or, or perhaps not knowing whether or not sex is right for them at this time in their tween life, uh, who do you refer to?
3: So I always try to speak to the patients and make it an individualized visit um, without rushing it. You know, you need to create that safe environment, and they really do want to be there to meet their needs and hear about them and their concerns. So I never rush my visits. Um, if I do feel that they need additional resources or would like to talk to someone privately, uh, we do have lists in all of our health centers of resources throughout the state. Um, we have Compass. We have 2 on one hotline that most people aren't aware of. We also have on our website a new um, communication called Rue where people can go on 24 hours a day and ask questions, and it's completely anonymous, Uh, any sexual health questions. Um, If it's a true medical emergency, I always refer to the emergency room. Uh, We also have a list of OBGYN um, genetic counselors uh, and different local offices that help, and any community uh, that our patients can assist get assistance at.
1: So other than the Gardasil, uh, do you provide any other vaccine care? For instance, hepatitis B vaccine, which is also a sexually transmitted disease.
3: So we actually only provide Gardasil vaccine at this time, and it's only in individuals 18 and up. However, we do provide screening for hepatitis B, hepatitis C,
1: um,
3: hepatitis A, since it is a growing issue, uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, herpes, and HIV.
1: Now, I know you do a lot of counseling, and I would imagine Mm -hmm. some of that... uh, are to our uh LBG uh Q community and HIV prevention is a very important part in the in the male population uh, and there's a medication called Truvada which goes under the name PrEP PREP it's uh, a prophylaxis for uh HIV uh that if someone is sexually active and has more than one male sexual partner uh it's recommended that they be on uh Prep. It's uh, well, tell us what prep is and 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 how you counsel someone. Sure. For so prep is
3: pre-exposure prophylaxis, and we do offer it at our all of our locations. Um, prep is not only for uh, the LG. BTQ community, but also it's very prevalent in African American women as well. Uh, So we counsel all of our patients on all preventative measures, um, including PrEP and NPEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. So it's a medication regimen or combination of pills that someone can take if they feel that they were exposed to the HIV um, within 72 hours. And PrEP is a medication that you can take. It's a pill daily to help decrease your chances of contracting HIV through safe sex measures. Um, There are actually two pills Truvada, and they just came out with another one called Docentex, which is actually um, has pretty much the same efficiency rate. I think it's 2% higher. Of effectiveness and it's a smaller pill. Uh, they both have patient access programs uh, for those people who don't have insurance. Uh, there's also grants through the Department of Health and insurance providers are covering it as well. So we give out all of the handouts and go into depth for any questions that may, they may have. We also monitor their uh, levels to make sure it's safe for them to be on that medication.
2: Okay. So
1: <clears throat> we've learned from practicing for a lot of years.
2: You, uh, you more than me.
1: Just so you know. I'll rub it in, <laughs> please. <laughs> that. So many years. 50 to 60% of patients will fill their prescriptions. Oh. 40% just don't really? bother to fill prescriptions. It's that high.
3: So we actually have follow-up programs in place. Aha, uh-huh.
1: that's what I was... <laughs> <Yes>. that, oh, <laughs> yeah. You saw the lead. I saw it. Take it, it from uh, there. So
3: we actually have follow-up programs in place. We have um, a system where we have a team called Centralized Follow-Up who actually will actually... Uh, provide phone calls to our patients. We mail letters. And every time they come into the clinic, there's an alert on their chart to trigger someone to have a conversation with the patient about the preventative care or the follow-up plan that is needed.
2: So, you know, I'm so impressed with both of you because I think that, you know, it is, it is easy to stay in the bubble that we live in, wh- whatever that may be. Uh, and just say, okay, well, I've got my little family in front of me or my little life in front of me, and that's all there is. But you come to work every day listening to – I'm sure, heart-wrenching stories of people who are underprivileged, who have been exposed to things that they shouldn't have, no matter how old they are. And I'm so thankful to both of you for doing this hard work. Do you feel like you're making a difference? I hope so. Uh, Every day, I go into work
3: hoping to make a difference. My patients actually make a difference in my life. Every day that I go to work, I walk away learning something new about someone um, and wanting to become a better provider. Uh, I hope I make a difference. Even if I just make one person smile, I'm happy that I went into work that day. I do know there's always heart-wrenching stories in every field of medication and healthcare, um, in every office. Can you tell us one? Sure. Uh, One that you will never forget um, are certain patients who always touch your heart and family members. Um, I had a patient recently who was unable to get into her actual OBGYN office due to an insurance change for about a month or two uh, And she was having breast pain Uh, The patient thought that it was mastitis or which is a common infection in your breast from breastfeeding and um, so she just wanted to be seen and have a prescription I convinced the patient, doing my due diligence, to let me do a clinical breast exam. And upon the exam, it didn't feel like mastitis. It didn't look like mastitis. It didn't have those characteristics. So I pushed the patient to go for an ultrasound. She didn't want to. I promised her, if you go in today for the breast ultrasound, I will send in that prescription to the pharmacy for you this evening if I know that it's mastitis and it can show it. So long story short, the patient went in for the ultrasound. Now she had been being treated for mastitis three times at this point. um, And it actually ended up being stage four breast cancer. So because of me having a very in-depth conversation and taking that time with the patient um, and making her go for the ultrasound, we were able to prolong her time with her family members. um, And she was able to fight it for two years. Um, unfortunately, it didn't have the happy ending, and she did pass away, but because of the services that we provide, I was able to be there for her and her family in her time of need and allow her to be able to have more moments with her family and her friends.
1: That's a great story, and I, and I like to think the fact that you guys have been around nationally doing these services <clears throat> for 100 years. It's like a fine wine. It just gets better with time. And uh, stories like that are just amazing stories. Do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever say, you know, why do I do this every day? What keeps you going, Rachel? I mean,
3: who doesn't get frustrated? (laughs) Um, What keeps me going? I think I love to give back. I was always raised that no matter what you have, you should always be thankful and help provide something to other individuals. Uh, I love mission trips. I love helping out my community members. And I hope that in my time of need, if I ever step into that, that someone will be there for me. There's always been people who've been kind to me when I've needed the help or I've needed medical attention. And that's my goal. That's why I go into it. Whether how frustrated I get, I always want to be there for someone else when they need it the most.
1: So let's talk a little bit about business, okay? Okay. (laughs) Okay. You're there how many days a week?
3: I work uh, four days a week uh, and five days every other week.
1: Okay. And when you're not there, there's another nurse practitioner there? Yes. Okay. So the clinic then is open five days a week, six days a week?
3: Uh, Five days a week at, at most of our locations.
1: And what happens if you are the sole provider? What happens after hours if someone needs a needs to follow up on a service that you've provided?
3: Um, We actually have an emergency on-call pager, which I also partake in. Uh, It's myself and three other providers. So we are available 24-7 to answer and field those questions in emergency, um, as well as a call center that's available 24-7.
2: So Laura, you've been doing this for...
0: So I've been with Planned Parenthood for six years. Before that, I was doing consumer health advocacy work in the state of Florida, but really advocating for Medicaid patients, um, kids on kid care, our CHIP program. Um, in fact, that's kind of how I got to know Planned Parenthood. I was around the time of the the Affordable Care Act was about to come fully online in, in 2013. And my job was to work with healthcare providers to educate them about the new law. We were talking about preventive services are now, you know, available with no copay and all of those private insurance issues. Um, And I was finding it very difficult because it was controversial, Affordable Care Act, you know, um, to work with providers that would speak out and say, yeah, this is going to help my patients that have cancer because they have a preexisting condition and now they can get insurance, except for one provider, and that was Planned Parenthood, who said, yes, Affordable Care Act, this is going to help. Our patients, no copay birth control, while they might, that might actually hurt us um, in the long run. It's what women need, um, and then the opportunity came to work with Planned Parenthood, and I said, you know, it, it's a no-brainer. And I actually came over the day the Affordable Care Act I think went into place, and I was, I guess I don't know, I was on a list for being a navigator, somebody that helps people choose a plan in the marketplace, and I'm getting calls like the same day that I'm starting with Planned Parenthood. Um, but you know, i have I've really never never looked back. I I really enjoy being a part of a um, uh, an organization that people know and that people love. Um, in fact, one in five, uh, women have been to a Planned Parenthood in their lifetime. Um, and so, uh, you know, people come to us for a reason and I'm, I'm just really proud to be a part of this organization. Are you worried? Um, I mean, you know, like I said, the attacks are going to keep coming and I, and I see them in my role, especially, you know, working in the, in the legislature in Tallahassee, I do see, you know, an increase, um, in uh, in the bans, abortion bans, and, and access to care all across the South, our, we have a three week waiting period in our Tallahassee and Jacksonville health centers for abortion care because it's becoming harder um, for people to access that, that care, and that is concerning. Um, but at the same time, I know that um, you know that that in the in the end, seventy seven percent of Americans believe that access to abortion care and reproductive health care shouldn't come with strings, and so I'm just going to put my faith in that.
1: What do you see, Laura, as the most crucial issue facing Planned Parenthood within the next six months?
0: I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be said about stigma. We talked about stigma with um, HPV, right? Yeah. But also, I mean, stigma with abortion, yeah. that's, that's the real issue, right? And, you know, I said one in five people have been to a Planned Parenthood. One in four women have had an abortion. That means that somebody that you know and love has had an abortion and all of these messages about how it's illegal and it should be rare and it should be this and we're gonna pass these laws, that hurts people. You know, and I think if we can get past this stigma and say, hey, this is this is a part of reproductive health care, um, that that's really one of the most important issues.
1: Well, I think anytime you pass a blanket law, it does hurt people. Yeah. I mean, there are multiple reasons, agree with them or not, why people do. Certain things.
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it's a blessing to live in a world where you can't really come up with a lot of reasons why it would be a problem. You don't live in that world. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked about that, that you have seen, you see horrors every day, things that should not happen to people. And so I think for those of us that kind of live in that little bubble, we need to be listening to
0: your side to hear about the things that we don't necessarily know are happening. I think it's also just, a, it's obviously a changing, you know, healthcare system. And we want to always be there for people yeah. that may not be able to afford other types of care or be able to get into the doctor's office nine to five. Um, and I just hope we can be around for another hundred yeah. years to keep doing that. And
3: I'm proud to be a part of it. We're a for change sector and a 4Change affiliate. We're always there to meet the needs of the changing healthcare field and patients. And I'm very proud to be a part of that. And I'm excited to see us continue to grow regardless of um, all the challenges that come our way. Yeah.
2: And I think it's been a real uh, eye-opener for people listening that these are faces and names that go behind this care. You know, we're talking about Planned Parenthood as if it's, you know, this big conglomerate, but these are people, individual providers who are calling people after hours to give bad news in the most heartfelt and caring way. So I appreciate what you do. Yeah, it's
1: real care. It's frontline care. It's what you and I do. It's, it's, it's not this mythical organization that takes money and feeds the administrative people. It goes into the clinics. It goes directly towards patient care. So when you give money to Planned Parenthood, you are giving money to help women and men receive health care that they may not otherwise receive. And you could be actually saving their lives you know you, you give to the march of dimes or and I'm not gonna uh, berate any charity here folks I'm I'm just not going to go there but just just pick one you give to you don't really know where the money's going you give to Planned Parenthood you know where it's gone Hey, let's talk a little bit about uh uh birth control because there's so many different forms of birth control out there uh abstinence which is really not birth control uh because you have to be really abstinent very few people are abstinent uh, the birth control pill, condoms and foam, uh, diaphragms, IUDs, implants. You do them all?
3: Yep. We do them all. We educate our patients on all options out there, which include natural family planning, the foams, the films, um, condoms, diaphragms, which have come a long way. It's now one size fits most, um, as well as all of the IUDs, hormonal and non-hormonal. Um, We offer all birth control pills. We dispense them as well as provide prescriptions to pharmacies of the patient's choice. Uh, And we also provide the implant and Depo-Provera shots. So uh, we choose a method based off of a conversation with the patient and what they're looking to get out of the birth control method, um, whether it's to help prevent certain types of cancers, whether it's uh, to help painful, long, heavy periods, to control acne, or to help provide protection during sexual activity with use of condoms. I definitely promote that as well. Um, but we choose the option that's best for the patient that fits their needs. So I don't just say, oh, you're gonna take a pill every day. I really talk to them and interview them and find out about their history and what would be best for them.
1: I- IUDs, what type of IUDs are you using in your clinic?
3: So we offer all available IUDs. We offer the Skyla, the Liletta, the Marina, the Kylina, and the Paragard. Um, Most of those are progestin-only methods. The Paragard is a non-hormonal method. Uh, They range anywhere from four years of effectiveness to 12 years. So they're all long-acting reversible contraceptives, which are very popular. Uh, There used to be guidelines or opinions that someone should not have one uh, if they've never had a child that no longer exist. Uh, So anyone um, is eligible for those based off of their medical history and needs.
2: Did I hear you mention before that you provide care for transgendered patients? We do. Those are new services that we
3: just started. Uh, so we are providing hormone replacement therapy for transgender patients 18
2: and up. And that's not, I mean, that's, that was hard to find when I was in training. It was hard to find people that were seeking the education and willing to take the risk to do that. So, I mean, do you find that that's the case here, that you're probably one of the only people in on Treasure Coast doing that? Uh
3: Yes, it is a, a challenge, which is why we started those services. It's a growing need of our community. Uh, so that is a new service that we provide. They are constantly um, providing trainings and education, as well as local resources and primary care physicians, our endocrinologists that also provide transgender cares that we can work closely with.
1: My only advice, you need to clone yourself. There are not <laughs> enough of you out there. You you guys were amazing guests on the show. I, I hope our audience learned a lot this morning about what Planned Parenthood does, the services that they provide, and the need to keep them in our community forever. You've done a beautiful job representing your organization. Thank you you for having us. Great show, guys. So is that kind of how you wanted it to go? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Oh, you did good. It was great.